Good morning, uh, Alive Church. Uh, unfortunately, you are getting this sermon uh, via video. Uh, I am still testing positive for COVID, although my family and I were doing really well. Um, we're basically over our symptoms, just have a, a little bit of a cough left, uh, but we are still testing positive. And so uh, we're just waiting uh, to get a negative test so that we can be back out there. Uh, and so we'll most likely be there in person next week. Um, and so we're really looking forward to that. Um, just before we get into the sermon, I want to uh, reiterate two very important things uh, that are coming up for us as a life church. Uh, the first thing is love our city on uh, July 2nd on that Saturday. You know, I don't know if you've ever been on a prayer walk uh, before, but there's something about walking through the city and seeing the people and learning about uh, the different sites and locations um, as we are doing that in a posture of prayer and listening to God. And what we're going to do is basically we're going to be um, going to some strategic locations and we're going to share about the demographics, the history, the spiritual landscape, uh, different things that pertain to maybe ministry and possible mission opportunities. And then we're going to take time to walk around and pray over that land and ask the Lord to speak to us and to give us a vision. And it's going to be a really great time. And so I want to invite you guys out. I was really happy to see many of you who signed up. Uh, but for those of you who have not, I want to continue to challenge you to maybe even reschedule whatever is planned on that day to come out if possible. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun as well, just enjoying the day together, uh, seeing the sights, uh, hanging out, eating together. Lunch will be provided. And so uh, it's not too late to sign up. And uh, I want to challenge you to come out for that day. Uh, the second thing I want to emphasize is actually um, the Experiencing God Discipleship course. Um, it's going to be starting on July 8th, uh, which is a Friday, and it's going to go for 10 Fridays. And I know that sounds very uh, challenging and maybe even daunting to commit 10 Fridays to, uh, to this program. Uh, but I think you would agree with me that anything worthwhile, anything that has that leaves lasting change in our lives is really a byproduct of a season of commitment, uh, of challenge, of working hard, and even sacrificing our time and our energy and to really focus um, all that we are into something important such as this. And I would say that there's nothing more important than the main idea of this discipleship course, which is to learn to discern and see where God is working around us and learning how to have faith to obey and step into that work uh, in our own lives. And it's so important because it's really when we are aligned to the story of God that it leads to our fullness, it leads to our flourishing, it leads to uh, happiness that we're looking for. And so when we get together on Fridays, we're going to have you know coffee and snacks, we're going to uh, have times of discussion. Uh, I'm going to do uh, some teachings on um, how to do prophetic prayer, on the gospel, the Holy Spirit. Uh, I want to give you some paradigms on how to understand your journey of discipleship. And it's going to be an amazing time uh, together. And so um, I want to challenge you to commit and to sign up today after service. Uh, they're gonna, the core leaders will be tabling. And uh, I'm looking forward to spending um, just an, an intense but hopefully fruitful season with you guys as we 
uh, want to look more like Jesus and follow him as his disciples. Okay? Now, let's get into the sermon. Um, I know I was originally planning on starting the Gospel of Mark, but because I'm not there in person, I actually want to push that uh, one more week. And today, I want to just give you a very simple sermon um, for this Sunday. And just a little bit of a warning. Uh, when I had COVID, uh, my mind uh, was very hazy, and so hopefully this makes sense, okay? Uh, so our sermon is going to be from the letter of First Peter. Now this letter, it centers on the idea of being exiles on earth. Uh, in other words, it's about living a life where our values as the people of God, it runs counter to the values of this world. And Peter is writing this letter because life in exile is very difficult. And there is suffering and loss. And the recipients of this letter are in need of encouragement from one of their leaders. You know, as they run against the grain of popular Greek and Roman ideas, more and more persecution and suffering come their way because they're striving to live for Christ. Now, much of our own culture, as I've been saying, I think the last few weeks, is in a very similar place. Uh, when we read the news, when we look at Instagram, Facebook, it's obvious that most Christian positions are out of favor with popular culture. And this means that there is, at least to a certain extent, a cost to be paid if we're going to truly adhere to the calling of Christ. Because the values of the kingdom of God are in stark contrast with the values of our culture. And this is exactly why the recipients of this letter were suffering. You see, living for Christ, for these people, have brought with it threats upon their social status, their families, and even their livelihood. Uh, many of these uh, men who were receiving these letters, they were part of these um, guilds and uh, work uni workers' unions. And these were vital and important if they were going to make a living. Uh, but once their status as Christians were known, they were actually kicked out of those places and they were at a huge disadvantage uh, when it came to making money. And for this reason, you know, as they couldn't provide, as, they were, uh, as, the, as the possibility of going um, completely into poverty was so real, there was this temptation to doubt the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to ask, is this much suffering part of the deal? Or do we believe in something that was false to begin with? And this is precisely why Peter begins in verse 12 by saying, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Now here we see two things. First of all, he encourages them by saying, as Christians, that suffering is to be expected. He says, why are you surprised that you're suffering as if something strange were happening to you? as if it wasn't part of the deal. You know, I'm pretty sure that as Peter was writing this, he's remembering his episode with Jesus, where Jesus tells Peter and the disciples that he has to suffer and die on the cross in order to accomplish his mission. But Peter, uh, being who he is, proceeds to rebuke Jesus, which I would never recommend. And it's because he thought that when the Messiah would come, that the Messiah would get rid of suffering altogether. And we know what happens next. Jesus basically calls him Satan, tells him to get behind them, and corrects him by saying what? 
that suffering is at the heart of following Jesus. That it's not like a vacation or a time of peace, but more like picking up a cross on your way to your own death. That it involves self-denial and sacrifice and difficult decisions in life. That a conflict-free life was never promised in the gospel that they receive. So don't think that it's strange that you're suffering as a Christian. You know, what's interesting is that I've seen so many examples of people being surprised at just how hard it is to be a Christian. You know, for example, I've seen a lot of uh, new converts uh, immediately after accepting the gospel where their life actually begins to get harder and not easier. And sometimes there's just confusion as to why this is happening. Isn't the gospel supposed to make life easier? I mean, it's supposed to be good news, right? You know, and they experience this joy and gratitude upon receiving the gospel. But slowly, as the months go by, life gets difficult. As family members begin to question why they're spending so much time at the church. Uh, They begin to feel alienated and a bit of a stranger, even with their own circle of friends, because now they're living for different priorities and a different life script. Um, Decisions about their future begin to take on a different shape because God calls them to live a life of sacrifice and for the flourishing of other people and not just our own. And Peter says, so don't be surprised by this. You see, the key here is that Christ never promised us an easy life. Suffering is to be expected. So the first thing is, don't be surprised. Now, secondly, he encourages them by informing them about the purpose of suffering, why God allows it in the first place. Now, there's a key phrase uh, here that we need to look at, and it's the phrase fiery trial, and it's the Greek word pyrosis, which sounds like a lot like the English word purify. And that's actually exactly what the Greek word means. Uh, In fact, in Revelation 3.18, Jesus uses the same word when he says, I will give you gold that is pyromai, refined by fire. You see, pyrosis, uh, this fiery trial that Peter speaks of, literally means like a refiner's fire. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, uh, but when you find precious metals like silver, it actually needs to go through a purification process which involves putting it in the fire over and over again in order to separate all of the junk and the impurities from the metal itself. And that's how you purify precious metals. You know, um, I once heard a story about a man who asks a silversmith how he knows when the silver has gone through the fire enough. When does he know that it's been purified enough? And the silversmith answered and said that he puts it into the fire until he can see his own reflection. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because spiritually, Peter is using this imagery to suggest that God puts us into the fire through times of suffering in order to purify us, until he can see his own reflection in us. You see, for Christians, suffering is never random or arbitrary but it serves the purpose of making us look more like Jesus. It is his instrument of sanctification. And here's how suffering does this. Notice that Peter says that suffering comes upon you to test you, or in other translations, to prove you. Now this word in the Greek basically means to show what something is really made of, 
to reveal its true condition. So I want you to think back to the refiner's fire. When you initially put the precious metal in the fire, it's a combination of pure and impure. There are parts of it that you don't want and the parts that you hope are there. And when it goes into the fire, the impure and the pure begins to separate. And in that moment, you begin to see what you really have. Sometimes you might have nothing because that whole thing was just a clump, was just a clump of rocks or full of impurities. Or you might have a small nugget or a big nugget. But whatever the case may be, it's the refiner's fire that shows you what you really had. You see... It's only when it's thrown into the fire and it separates do we see what it's really made of. And in the same way, suffering, the fiery trials that we go through, reveal the true condition of our own hearts. You know, many of us, we confidently say things like, you know, especially when things are going well, that God is first place. You know, He is our priority. He's my everything. I trust Him completely. My heart is wholly devoted to Him. And it's so easy to say these things when everything is great, in normal conditions outside of suffering. But what we don't realize is that our hearts are always divided to a certain degree. That we also trust and treasure other things that compete with God. And it's only when suffering hits and those other things like relationships careers or reputations are threatened and you're thrown into that fire that you you begin to see how much you really trusted and treasured God and how much you really trusted and treasure something else. You know, back in LA, um, LA is a very ambitious city. Uh, A lot of people come there to make it. And, you know, I see a lot of people who faithfully come out to the church, they come out to all the prayer meetings and you really sense that God is everything to them. But you also realize they're also very ambitious about their careers. And when things are going well, it's so easy for them to believe in their heart that their heart is entirely for God and that work is just a means for something else. It's just something that they enjoy and are passionate about. But when suffering hits and work is not going the way that they had hoped or they lose their job, They begin to be filled with despair and bitterness towards God. They begin to see just how much it bothers them. And they realize just how divided their heart was. That their career was actually the first priority. And that so much of their identity was rooted in their work and not in God. You see, in that moment, they're in the refiner's fire, revealing the true condition of their heart. You see, they would never have known it without their job being taken away. The fire was necessary to expose them, and that is the first step towards purification. So first, uh, suffering uh, purifies us by exposing the true condition of our hearts. Now, the second way suffering purifies us is this. Remember why the metal is thrown into the refiner's fire. The servicemen does so Because he knows that the impure cannot withstand the heat, but the pure can. The impure, when it goes into the fire, it actually begins to uh, come up to the surface and disintegrates. But the pure remains. In the same way, God uses suffering to expose the inadequacy of other things in order to teach our hearts to trust and rely on Him alone. 
You see, the fire is a test because you don't really know just how strong or adequate something is until it's been pushed, until it's put through difficult situations. You know just how strong a, of a friend you have if you've made it through difficult times together. You know how sufficient a structure is by the amount of force or weight it can withstand. And in the same way, suffering tests whatever it was you were trusting in. If it can withstand the fire, if it can give you the peace and comfort that you need in times of hardship. You know, we often hear people say, you know, things like, that person needs to hit rock bottom before they trust in God. And I think partly what this means is that, what they're trying to say is that God needs to put that person into the fire and show them just how inadequate everything is. That in the face of meaninglessness, fractured relationships, sickness and death, everything disintegrates in time and under the right pressure. But that only Christ is strong enough to remain and provide all that we need. That He alone is enough. And we learn this in the refiner's fire. And this is how God uses suffering to purify our hearts. He first does it to reveal the true condition of our hearts. And then second, He does it so that He can show that He alone is able to withstand all the troubles that we have in our lives. Now, just to clarify, remember that the sufferings that Peter is speaking about are not all kinds of suffering. He says in verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, just because you're suffering doesn't mean that you should rejoice because you think it's a sign that you're being refined. It could be that your own sin has caused this suffering and trial in your life. This means that we should evaluate our suffering. Is rejoicing the proper response or is repentance the proper response? See, the suffering that Peter is talking about is this. He says in verse 13, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. In other words, just as Christ suffered because He pursued righteousness, because He obeyed the Father, because He lived against the grain of this world, rejoice when your suffering comes because you yourselves are seeking to obey God and to pursue His righteousness and His kingdom. You see, too often we play the victim card as if all suffering is a result of outside forces, but oftentimes it's because of our sin that brings about hardships. We have to be honest with ourselves and recognize the root cause so that we can properly respond in joy or in repentance. We have to make sure we understand which suffering Peter is talking about. And as we've been saying, the right kind of suffering purifies us. Now, as I end, uh, you might be saying to yourself, you know, it's one thing to know that God has a purpose for your suffering, but it's an entirely different thing to actually persevere in it. You see, Peter, knowing this, provides a word of encouragement. He says in verse 14, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In other words, it is the simple truth that God is present in our sufferings, and His presence gives us the power to overcome. In fact, Peter almost suggests that there is a greater portion of His presence in times of suffering. 
And this is important to know because the temptation when we suffer is to doubt God and to ask where He is in all the pain. But not only this, we are not strong enough to continue to hope in Him alone when we are in such need. However, I know that many of us, that we can attest to the fact that our most intimate encounters with God have always been in the moments of chaos and not in peace. And just as Peter is reminding the recipients, I want to remind those of you who are going through different types of hardships and trials, whether you feel them or not, God's presence rests upon you. He is with you, supplying the strength to overcome this season in your life. You know, as I um, shared before, uh, my wife, Jessie, um, you know, her mom was sick for many years before she passed away in 2017. And during that period of time, there were a lot of hospital visits and surgeries and treatments. And so we spent a lot of time at the hospital. And it was a very difficult time for the family. And I think it was especially hard uh, for her dad. I mean, I can't imagine seeing Jessie going through the same things as her mom did. Uh, as a husband, it would be just extremely difficult and frustrating. Uh, but one of the things that I'm grateful for are actually the meals that I got to have with my father-in-law outside of Jesse's mom's hospital room. Hospital room. You know, most nights while Jesse was inside with her mom, I would eat dinner with her dad, and most of the times it was some type of fast food. Uh, I probably ate so much fast food during that season. But while we would eat, he would share all the time about what he's going through and especially what God had been teaching him through that time of suffering and how God had been using this time to reveal the condition of his own heart and the things that he's trusted in the past and how God has been exposing it through this difficult time. And, but more often than not, it was, not about, it was about how through these difficult times, God has shown more of himself more of His love, more of His grace, more of His sovereignty. And through, his, through each conversation, I didn't sense bitterness or resentment towards God, but intimacy with God, a deeper degree of love for God, which doesn't make sense in light of the situation. But don't you see that this is the pattern of the cross that Christ has called us to pick up on a daily basis? Christ had to die in order to resurrect. He had to die in order to give life. He had to suffer the wrath of God so that we don't have to. And the same pattern applies to us as we pick up the cross. As we die to ourselves, we receive the life of God. We become more of who God has called us to be. You see, within the furnace, the fiery trial, God redeems our suffering so that it's not arbitrary or meaningless. But oftentimes it becomes the means by which he brings us near to him and the means by which we look more like him. You see, this is the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And this is the hope that we have as Christians when we suffer. Uh, as we respond uh, to this word, um, I want you to just spend some time as the praise team comes up to just come before the Lord and uh, present your trials and your sufferings before the Lord and ask Him to remind you of His purposes for um, for this season, and that he would empower you and to give you the gift of faith uh, when it comes uh, to continuing to pursue him, even moment, even in moments when it's difficult. Let's pray.